Okay, boss. Let's start. In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are blessed with a co-host whose passion for our republic proceeds him wherever he goes, Raymond Wong Jr. Thank you, thank you. I'm so excited to talk about a topic so nice, we decided to broadcast it twice. (laughs) I love it. So yeah, today we are here to talk about episode number 17, and we are doing a follow-up, essentially a part two, on freedom from religion. We'll come up with a title by the time this airs, Um, but we felt the timing is critical to come back to this topic and just um, revisit a little bit of, you know, some of what we're seeing happening around the world relative to democracy and then the state of democracy as it's, I don't know, surviving hopefully in the United States. Um, So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in it. So um, one of the things that triggered the discussion for today, for us to continue the discussion for today is, you know, this topic about religion in the United States and, and around the world, but specifically for our system, because it's um, the way our documents were written, it's essentially an externality. I mean, it really is of all the words and all the documents, it's only mentioned a few times. Um, and so that, that in and of itself kind of gives you the idea that, well, you know, that's in its own lane. It's something we're not really going to deal with. So let's, let's just try and define it so that it stays in its own lane. And then we've carved this other lane around reason, knowledge, logic, science, information, for the republic for republic's sake but you know as time goes on and has gone on that that division has been allowed to become more blurred um you also see it like everything's becoming more blurred right we used to have a sense and sensibility about norms and about expectations and where where certain things were proper or where they belonged, or at least that was, you know, some of the picture that was painted for society that we were all supposed to fall into, whether we did or didn't, it's another story, but we are here where we are now today, regardless. And it's pretty unnerving um, to think, you know, some of the statistics that have been coming out, and I don't want to quote too much of it, you know, there's no need to get sensational because the facts stand on their own. I think without having to state any statistics, I think people understand um, that if you aren't getting a broad set of news sources and you aren't even interested, you're like willfully ignorant. And the only place you choose to believe are the things that are reinforcing whatever concepts you already have or the concepts you're choosing to adopt from your faith system is a problem. We, we, we're having an erosion. We have an erosion of the fourth estate. Um, the media is kind of tripping all over itself. It's a bis, bit of a mess everywhere, and that's greed. I think today we might end up talking a fair amount about greed. Because greed is a religion. Thank you. Yeah, Ray and I have been talking about it, like, uh, leading up even to the previous episode, you know, back and forth, just kind of thinking about it among ourselves. And we did come to that conclusion. <laughs> we we feel like greed, greed is a, a line or a thread that is eroding so much of what is good and righteous in our systems from media. I'll say to faith, to religion, um, you know, I, I would say that there's a, a helpful way and an unhelpful way to practice your religions, our religions, whatever we believe in, and keeping those separate from our state. And then, you know, the greed and how it's been so pervasive in politics, the money in politics, that I still don't see any, you know, I don't see any laws coming through Congress yet that are going to fix Citizens United. Um, maybe they can't. 
you know, maybe there aren't a lot of laws. Maybe they're at this point, the Supreme Court's messed it up so much. It requires a constitutional amendment. But how sad, how sick the state of our society and our systems are. And now we're just seeing a bigger push, right? Um, I didn't watch much about CPAC. I've seen some hubbubs here and there. I saw the false idol statue. And it's so funny, this dichotomy, because I see evangelicalism, I see some of these religious sects, these subgroups of, of a global Christianity that are more so than any other group, totally gung-ho about supporting anything regardless of how destructive it is to society or our system. And all these state houses across the country now um, going on a full frontal assault to take out voting rights from people. And we just passed the census. We just, you know, went through the census process last year. So all those state houses are going to have the ability to start drawing their own maps, many of which the Supreme Court may have no interest in, in reviewing. So I don't know who's going to be represented in the next two years. I don't know who's going to be represented in Congress. It's going to be interesting, but I... We'll probably keep coming back to greed to see where the influence comes in in here. But it's scary to think that people are are not mindful. They're willfully unmindful of what's happening a in our society and then around the world. Because I'm thinking about Myanmar, and I and I know I, I suspect a lot of people probably aren't surprised or not even aware of what's going on in Myanmar. Um, you know, with with democracy struggling to keep a root, keep a toehold in place. Um, Hong Kong is gone. Taiwan is trying to defend itself. Uh, and then here in the United States, you know, democracy is under assault. The republic itself is at risk of becoming an authoritarian state rather than a representative government. And we have, to, we have to keep talking about these things and we got to keep bringing people's attention to it. And I, I suspect Ray and I will keep thinking about ways to try and cross that divide and plant that seed for Republic's sake in people's minds because it's almost like a fever. I can't imagine it's almost like a fever at some point it's going to break. Just like... Um, you hear former Nazis talk about, you know, how beholden they were to the Nazi system and propaganda. These religious institutions are using the best tools to manipulate people we know of. And they are powerful and they work. We know that for a fact. Well, I think uh, we, we, we need to get to where it all started, right? So when it comes to, it was interesting because Michael and I got into this um, on a, a behind the scenes conversation and, and I was coming into the conversation saying, and please understand that there is a, a robust debate happening for every hour of content we put out, there's probably five or six hours of robust engagement. And one of the conversations we had is that I came to the conversation saying religion is necessary. It's needed for human society to develop we wouldn't have been the civilized society we are without religion, but Michael had a much different view. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and it's interesting because there's a there is a whole ream of you know study, scholarly or otherwise, study on you know the history of religion and the psychology of religion and the evolution, and you know why does it even exist the way it does, but just to pick on the moral argument because i think most people feel like morals come from religion and i would say the evidence you know science has been studying this nature versus nurture it takes a lot of different arguments but there is an innate set of qualities that humans are born with there's a basic set of programming that that we're all born with that predisposes us in a vast majority of cases or times to collaboration, to cooperation. 
but we're not just useful idiots. We don't just collaborate and aren't aware of the fact that people lie. Um, we are born with a full, fully equipped set of um, moral sensors, if you will, because morality as a term and as a construct, we invented. Okay, morality, morality is supposed to be a word that describes a group of behaviors. Um, ultimately, regardless of whether or not we have the word morality, those behaviors exist. And they allow us to cooperate and to compete um, and to do all kinds of complex behaviors without a society, without necessarily you know, having any human organization on top of it. And we see it through, you know, early child development psychology. Children are willing to help people who appear nice. They, children are very observant of behavior and they read body language very well because we, we don't really communicate verbally until later in life, and until many years after the brain has developed. So if you think about children, the majority of their mode of communication is through observation and very limited oration, right? They're not able to really, they're not able to speak, they can cry and things like that. But they also don't understand necessarily language, but they understand tone, tenor, um, your facial, facial expressions, your body language, all of that. Like they're very expert at reading things before they understand language. Because of all of that, they're able to tell somebody who is intentionally dropping something to get a child to come pick it up for them versus someone who has accidentally dropped something and legitimately needs help picking it up. A child who has never met this individual is capable of discerning those things on body language. Long story short, just to bring it home, and thank you, Ray, for bringing this up, you know, the religious texts many, many, especially of the oldest religious texts, do present many cases, many cases of morality. But a lot of what those texts do, at least in my opinion, is trying to join your innate sensation or feeling or expression of morality and try and marry that or merge it in one way or another to the society at large, to the social structure that has been built on top of some Western or some civilization, Western or otherwise. So those religious texts are always telling stories, you know, the best way for people to survive, you know, Kashru is all about what, what to eat for long life. Theoretically, you know, there's, I'm putting, I'm projecting a lot onto some of these religious texts. But it's, but, it's like, like if I could just jump in real yeah. quick, it's, it's scary, right? Like there's scary religious texts in there. So help me understand it. That was challenging for me as a child is that some of the stories were scary. Um, the good news and the bad news is my mom let me watch rated R movies right off the bat, man. So, so rated R movies were part of, and, and we had HBO, Cinemax, mm. I think they called it Skinemax back Skinemax. in the day. Yeah. So, so it, to me, you know, I was immersed in a lot of realism and life and also hyper Hollywood sensationalism, right? So then you brought in religion and it was confusing to me to say, but this stuff isn't real. When I talk to my mom about the scary stuff I see on TV, she clearly explains to me what is real and what is not. But yet you're telling me that people turn to stone if they looked at Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, that, that there was this problem, right? So I said, what happened to the stone issue? And, and it got me in trouble in school and it got me in trouble with my my elders or whatever they my my family my mom always ignored me but I always said what happened to the stone issue did we fix it what happened to the like did is there no more because there's sodomy going on right so so what happened why do people not turn to stone how did they fix that because mm -hmm. I seen it on tv and I didn't turn to stone right so for me I'm trying to understand better like what religion's telling me so it's, it, it, I was constantly challenging it in that sense. And unfortunately, again, for better or for worse, should I have seen that stuff when I was young? I don't know. Uh, but it put me in a position to always be challenging it. And it, when you're that young, you're not respectful, I think. That was my challenge. That's maybe that's why they kicked me out. But as we talked about and spoke about in, in previously, you and I were not meant for the catechism, right? Those religious schools were not really a place that you and I could thrive. Um, no, no, it's, um, it's not necessarily a place. It's not a place to allow a logical mind to thrive. Um, it's there to teach you how indoctrination works and 
try and get you to accept some things at face value without questioning right to start or if you do question it, you get in trouble right because there was an authority there was a system for punishment if you pushed back on that thought I, i'm sure you knew you know i knew i knew because i was eventually ejected from the program De right but depends on how artful they are at their skill um the most artful the most artful of the religious are able to take any of your arguments and worm it and warp it back into and through the text to try and dissipate or i would say redirect any skepticism that you might have um but no answers to questions i mean that wasn't the point of it and if you were if you you know if you if you were working with a, a teacher a religious teacher that didn't have any patience then yeah it was typically just punishment accept this just accept this, you know, it's not your place to question it. It is unique because I grew up in Arizona as well. So you got to imagine the religious establishment and the, the pressure of religion was extremely heavy in Arizona and in my neighborhood in particular, you know, and we had LDS neighbors who said we were drinking the wrong type of soda. So we would go to hell. So it was mm. a really interesting neighborhood uh, to say the least, but outside of that, and, and you know, predominantly white at the time. And, and it just was really, it was for me, there was a lot of influence pushing me one way. And so to fight back the other way was complex. But again, when you have everyone around you, all the holidays, it's really like you're saying, we're born, I'm subscribing to the Michael Piscatelli way of thinking that we are born with innate morality, and that the religion taxed itself on top of it. So I came into this thinking, oh, we owe religion a debt of gratitude. But <laughs> but in a sense, I, I, I had to step back and Michael saw, broke down my own biases. He won that argument pretty quickly. He doesn't always win um, them with me. But that <laughs> one, you know, where we both end on opposite sides, I say nobody wins yeah. in some of our arguments. Right. But, but in the sense of I was there with you, I said, wow, they've manipulated me enough that I'm still giving them credit where no credit is due. They do not deserve civilization as it is today. What they do own, though, I realized the credit is due, is they are the founders of the manipulation mechanism we're all stuck in, right? Since we've been born and forced, those of us that accepted religion, accepted the cognitive, cognitive dissidence that they forced upon you. So to me, I think it's more and more I think about it, it's actually the first training ground. And I was guilty. Because I love education and I love propaganda, but I fell for it. Mm -hmm. I was still giving them credit. I won't give them credit for anything, but I was giving them civilization's gateway. And Michael <laughs> had to knock me down. So thank you for that deep thought exercise, Mike. No, you're very welcome. Yeah, it's hard, um, especially when you look in history, it's hard to divorce you know, religion from a lot of the, you know, great events of humanity or civilization. And that's I guess because they wrote it. I should have thought of that. Oh, Mike, yeah. I should have thought of that. They wrote it. <laughs> they want to seem like, you know, they were the big underpinning thing that's allowed everything to be the way it is. And it's just, it's not true. It's a, it is a power structure that was built on top of it. And truth be told, you know, religious indoctrination intentionally starts very young in people's families because that's when it works best, you know, our, our ability as young humans, our ability to think critically doesn't come on until later. Because if you think about surviving in the bush, in the wild, a child really doesn't, it shouldn't, it's not its place to question how to survive until a certain age, until it's experienced certain things. And so evolutionarily, bio, biologically, we are tuned that way up until the age roughly around nine years old, depends. But roughly up until the age of nine years old, you don't question authority that much. Um, it's intended so that you know how to fish and hunt and build a hut and, and climb trees and, and do all the things that you need to do to be able to survive. So don't. this is not the time for you to be holding up the tribe, right, when we're getting chased down in, in the bush by some predator that we're trying to hunt or whatever it is. And then later... Later, I, comes can on. I just interject yeah. one thing with the bush? Because I and I hate to interrupt you, but you're you're saying some great stuff. Um, but the the bush, I just want to visualize for our audience that the bush has been recreated for us. The bush is the thing that Michael and I are always arguing about. That's built upon 
the simple structure, which is supposed to be freedom, right? The bush has been recreated. So everybody knows the bush exists except for the people living in it, it seems. And, and the corporations and the government, everybody understands that they've created this pseudo bush for us to be afraid of. So I hope you understand these mechanisms and these power structures pulling on us like religion, they have, they have built this well-manicured bonsai tree of humanity. And anytime something starts to stray, we use legislation, legis sorry, the Christian organizations use legislation or their power to trim the bush, to trim it so they can try to keep legislation to legislate morality. So we're all living in the new bush, which is, I just wanted to again interject that, Mike, that the bush is what we're always arguing about. Like, like peek outside the bush, it's okay. Yeah. No, thank you, Ray. It's a good point. So now we're in a concrete maze. We left the bush. You know, you can't survive. Your family can't go farm the land and live off of it necessarily. Now, maybe if you want to go do that in Alaska, it's possible, but most of us aren't doing it and most of us won't do it. So here we are. We are in, we are in the concrete maze, the concrete bush that we call society. And it's unnatural. We built this. And religion's the same way. It's unnatural. We built it. And the, you were born with a moral compass. We are all born with an innate moral compass that leads us towards survival. And survival for a human means um, adapting to your in-group, adapting to your tribe. Um, the, you know, we, I was talking, I forgot who I was talking to. I was talking to a friend the other day and we were, we were, we were talking about various things, but it's funny when you study things like um, cognitive behavioral therapy and whatnot, when um, people talk about the lizard brain, the amygdala, and they talk about fight, flight, or freeze, and they always, who's they, they always, whoever it is, generally will go back to the saber-toothed tiger, right? They'll use that as an example, which nobody can identify with. When was the last time you had to run away from a saber-toothed tiger? So let's dial that back, you know, because people, they'll say it's BS. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The, what, what's missing from that analogy is, the, is us, humans. There is no animal danger to, more dangerous to humans than other humans. And that has been the case ever since we've been agrarian, ever since we've had steel, guns, germs, and steel. We have been, quote unquote, you know, the predator at the top of the food chain now for eons and eons and eons. And our biggest predator is ourselves. And so when you think about this, you have to think about it from an in-group and out-group perspective. They, many groups of people have now hijacked this innate sense of the other. Okay. We're born with morals and the moral is not to kill your fellow person, but who is your fellow person is the next question. Your in-group, your tribe versus the out-group the other group, the other tribe, because evolutionarily speaking, we succeed when we cooperate with our kin and we, and we potentially perish if we are murdered by our adversary. So remember the amygdala is, is the lizard. It's the old part, oldest part of your brain, not the newest part, evolutionarily speaking. But it's still there. It's there to survive. You're born with morals. Religion has hijacked those morals and given you a different construct to put on top of it. And one of the things, I'm going to bring this home to cognitive dissonance, because what religious groups tend to say is, it's okay to struggle with your faith. Oh, that questioning, that struggle, that feeling uh, of questioning your faith, I think is the way they describe cognitive dissonance and what cognitive dissonance is your innate moral compass saying this is true a is true but then society at large your legislatures your legislators your your religious you know clergy people whoever it is your your who your neighbor says something else right and cognitive dissonance is that feeling that something's not right these two things don't seem to add up to me. They don't tend to make sense. And I'm feeling squeamish about it. And, you know, whether it's because 
the microbiome of little animals living in your gut on your vagus nerve are smarter than you are. We don't know yet, but you get a feeling something's not right. This information doesn't seem accurate. That is cognitive dissonance. You know, when someone tells you to do one thing and you just, you know, deep down in your bones that that's wrong or there's something about it that isn't right, you have a feeling. That feeling is your internal moral compass in most cases. And we feel it sometimes. It's, it's something we're trained early on in our lives to ignore. Back to something Ray was talking about before we got on here about like homelessness people who are down on, you know, we're just taught, oh, well, they are just bad people, or they just messed up, or, you know, they don't have good morals, or whatever it is. We feel bad for those people. That's, but the fact that we keep driving on, and we go on with our daily lives, and that there's cognitive dissonance there, you know, there's, this system has issues with it, and it wants you not to think about it. Marketing, doesn't want you to think about the full cost of production for that product you just bought. The real purpose of marketing is to divorce you from the production life cycle, from all the humans in the world who are suffering in the production of that, the environment that's suffering, suffering in the production of that, for the sake that you're willing to buy it, you know, at, at the cheapest price so that they generate a profit. That's designed to divorce you from potentially having cognitive dissonance for asking yourself the question, do I really need to buy this? Because I know the true cost of it to the world and to our people, our species. So it comes up everywhere. And this is why religion is such a problem, especially for me, because it's one of the first ways we're indoctrinated not to believe our moral compass, not to necessarily, to, to, to begin overriding that internal questioning, that internal, mm, something's not right, that pops online after the age of nine. Um, it's strange. I hope you'll come with me on this one. But uh, as you're talking with us, I'm having a deep thought experiment about the, what this all, what, how can I see this? And what, how has it materialized itself, this dissidence from the product, right? And, and I thought about, we should call it the, the, the local butcher example, okay? Because back in the day, what happened when you needed meat? You went to your local butcher, right? And and you had a relationship with your butcher and you knew he had that meat in the back and you knew he had to cut it up for you, right? So it seems like now when I go to the grocery store, uh, there's nicely packaged meat all laid out for me. I have no clue that it really was a whole animal at one point. So it's like, if anyone wants to try to join me on this thought experiment, think about your local butcher in the old days when we were more thoughtful, when we had to be probably, there were there was a system of distribution that made sense for meat. And now we've turned it into a commodity product in the sense that I've, I've completely distanced myself from the thought that, that that came from an animal, right? There's no process. Um, but if I think about where that where this industry came from, the classic neighborhood butcher, that is, is real that is you're seeing the animal being cut up for you to size and and I think again like that's what I was thinking so if anybody wants to try to practice it anyone who's older than that remembers the neighborhood butchers this is the change this is the transformation America that we shouldn't have had the neighborhood butchers should probably exist you know the not the gyms again I'm, I'm not out totally against gyms but but I'd <laughs> rather see more neighborhood butchers yeah I mean and that's going to go back we'll be talking so much probably about that more so when we get into resiliency and, and we'll be bringing back a focus on small business, small, local, sustainable, resilient communities. Right? So what you're Not saying is our solutions are connected, Mike, that you and I are coming up with solutions that are trying to be holistic and webbed. Now, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work in this thing called America. We'll see. Uh, we got to come up with some good branding for it, right? Um, but the one thing we're never going to do is package and sell you something that triggers your cognitive dissonance. And if it does, we need to know because I'm curious. I mean, we're trying to stick with the innate good in humanity here, especially for the sake of our republic. You know, I, I just just make sure we we trademark that the butcher and local butcher and i don't it does I, maybe it doesn't exist i don't know all right sorry go ahead Mike. i don't know <laughs> i mean the butcher is a really really good example because i can't think of the last person i met who's actually slaughtered their own pig 
can you think or, about or and the cow. bigger challenge right with the meat distribution issue and the overconsumption of meat the the the, the way we've transformed yeah. the meat industry is a problem we do need to move back Mass to a, consumption. a better relationship yeah a better relationship with meat. we should have a real a real price on that but, meat but your analogy let, let us know audience don't don't steal it it's ours we just we claimed it it's this is all recorded obviously <laughs> i love it because the butcher goes back to muckraking it goes back to upton yeah. sinclair and the it goes back farm. to yeah it's ancient it's ancient times actually because the butcher was one of the the first roles and you know when you had the wealth enough to get to for the peasants to have me you had that local butcher you're going back to ple plebeians. You're going back exactly. to people who were who were. What would you say tied to the land? Well, we were there up until the last hundred years, almost like we were right. a lot closer. We've within the last hundred years, we've done a leapfrog away, and it's dangerous. Industrialization, and the prolification, the prolif. What is it? Prolification. Prolific yeah, we got it wrong. The, it the lesson of the industrial Greed. age. It's greed. The lesson, yeah, the lesson, yeah, greed is a religion that's killing everything. But also, the lesson of the industrial age, I believe, will be that um, industrialization is not for everything. Don't industrialize people. Don't industrialize food. There are certain things that are meant to be sustainable. So, um, just to bring it back on the attack of uh, the republic, or before I do that, actually, let's do a quick sponsorship message. Here's a message from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. Fulfilling a dream where all possess an intrinsic love for self-rule that is reciprocated with free speech and equal justice under the law? Citizen Do Good values the promise of all of the amendments to the Constitution, along with the original core documents. Taken together, they form a framework and operating manual for the Republic that provides us with the means to change with the times. The time is now to deeply re-examine our current implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We are a proud sponsor of the Citizens Prerogative Podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. Help us to stay on mission and grow this community by rating the podcast with five stars on iTunes through the app on the web or on your device. If you don't feel like you can give us five stars, let us know why on our sponsor's Facebook page, Citizen Do Good. Like and follow it to help out even further. Also, make sure you join our newsletter at citizendogood.com. You'll get updates every couple of months on all of our antics, not just the podcast. While you're there, check out the shop, which has your favorite merch and provides a way to make a one-time contribution to help us pay for production and hosting. Feel free to share any suggestions you have directly through the Contact Us page at citizendugood.com. Thanks for your support. I think that, um, the, you know, we were, I'm so excited we're doing this part two because we had so much to talk about still. And um, the... Uh, <laughs> I just want to let you know where I actually started the timer this time. I was my I was cognitively present. Yeah. And 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 I and we're at 32 minutes. I know we had a historic event last week when we had the longest episode ever released in the history <laughs> of our podcast, it's in the history of the United States because our podcast has just only existed. So here we have the, uh, the 32 minutes. On the heels of that momentous occasion, Ray is keeping track of timing, which was supposed to be my job and never got done. I, I actually always do keep track of timing, but I know nine times out of 10, I start at like four, five, 10, 20 minutes late. So I always know we're kind of going long. <laughs> I love it. And thank you to our listeners for <laughs> listening in on this. Ah. I thought I'd give them a little behind the scenes fun for them, you know, like just a. Uh, but because this is part two, you know, this, but I think it's going to be a continual conversation. I, and I, and I thank Mike for letting us go into a second, because we do typically like to move on and keep it fresh. And, and, and we only discuss something that's so important because it has such a large impact. And we said, there's just, it's going to be a discussion that's ongoing for time, but we like, like season one, right? We like to do foundational work and really establish a clear position as much as we can. So dedicating two episodes made a lot of sense to me. And, and Michael and I kept speaking about it 
after the show was over before the show so it just made sense yeah i mean especially with the trends the way they were going i know there was some there's some stuff about rush limbaugh and everything and it's just for me it's interesting seeing this arc of the republican party follow this trajectory because i jumped off that ship in the late 90s so for those of you who don't know, I used to be a registered Republican in Arizona. I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh and several other um, radio hosts. And then sometime, you know, around the late 90s, the Republican Party really shifted away from conservatism and towards otherizing people. So they lost me when religion got too much, too big into their politics. And... um you know, picking us apart, like gay people and stuff like that. So I was, I was gay and I'm not, I, and I particularly love and enjoy all religions in the lane that they belong in. Um, but I don't necessarily attend any particular church. So when the party way back in the day started shifting and, and pandering way more towards religiosity, ideas based on religious basis and not on logic, they started losing me. And then when they started attacking, I mean, they little did I know as a child of the 80s, the reason why I was afraid of sex was because of AIDS, was because of this big mythic thing, you know, portrayed on, on us as gay people. You know, our, our people were allowed to die. I mean, we were... I'm going to stop there because it's going to take me on a different set of topics yeah. like maybe um, we just maybe, but, but maybe i left that and and to see the republican party really fully starting to bring home some of these things that started way back in the 90s it's like i i see these articles and it's like gosh what's happened oh everything's going off the rails i'm like no actually i the if I go back to the earliest memories I have of this party, it started going in this direction. It just hasn't stopped. It's been full steam and it's been gerrymandering its way into ever more extreme positions of power. And I'm so nervous and concerned about this. Um, I was reading an article today, um, you know, about what's going on in state houses, Republican state houses and, <clears throat> excuse me, the fact that we were trying to, you know, I think in Congress they were putting forward the Equality Act um, to be voted on. And, you know, it's it's interesting because the Equality Act is pretty simple. I mean, we can't even, the fight against women in this country, against women women's equality in this country is primarily coming from extreme religious groups the attack against homosexuals the attack against transgender people these are all humans we are all imbued with inalienable rights inalienable rights in this country and we should be treated equally with respect under the law along with everyone else but i see these topics around other groups of people that wholly believe a biden didn't win the election and they believe people are coming after, somehow people are coming after their rights, so they have to preemptively remove ours in response. Like, And it's scary because the only way that these people, like here, you know, it says there was a survey that 60%, 68% of white evangelical Republicans said the media had exaggerated number of deaths from the pandemic. I just... You know, all of this information, it used to, people used to say, well, how, how come people are voting against their own interests and stuff? It used to be less critical, I think. It used to be less important. People are dying. People died during the Capitol riots, and there are a huge group of people believe that that was Antifa undercover. You know, the the... And, and a lot of this I understand is conspiracy theory, but at the same time, a lot of this is also when you look at some of these pollings and whatnot, you can tell there are certain groups of people that have tried to corner the law on morality and what it means to be a good American or a good person, and they're selling it. They branded it, they're selling it, and it's wrong, and it's not moral, and it's not right. It's sick. 
and well, sad. If we can get to then, you know, like you're like we were talking about the the the, the root or the root of this is the is the religious organizations who have the most vested interest the because most of the other organizations have a product or something else that they're capitalizing on but the the church itself has an exclusive um corner on morality because that is their product right that's all that's all they try to generate and that's how they generate their parishioners so in that sense they have the original they are the original at conducting this type of activity. And now the church and the religious mechanism itself has become has become uh, um, kind of weaponized against our own democracy. And that's what we're faced with. So I just wanna kind of bring it back to be clear on the fact that um, religion is not bad. It's the weaponization or the industrialization, frankly, like I said before, of the religious component. The, the, like Michael said, the fourth estate is at risk, right? Because all of this is is in flux, and there's a power structure. And I think Michael said this earlier. And there's there's kings because of the power vacuum that's being created. Because nobody is really standing up for what is right. All the powerful seem to be standing up for the status quo. So I'm not saying anybody's standing up for what's wrong, but there are definitely people that are giving it up to what was and what religion and what a lot of what we live in today in our system that we talk about this bush um, is, is this, uh, is, is appeasing the poor. So a long time ago when religion became extremely powerful and when it came into influence is when it, its job was to keep the poor at bay, to accept their law in life. There's the saying that I always think of the meek shall inherit the earth. It's something that's very shared. It's very present. The meek shall inherit the earth to me is the best example of propaganda to say, just calm down, your life sucks, but there's something better afterwards. And you hear that time and time again, that people have distanced themselves from the homeless person on the street because this is not the final life, that there is a better place, that there is something afterwards. And I believe that's a dangerous practice. And again, we've been trained that way from birth. So we will accept our position of no power very little influence, right? Where were the rich have religion, power, and influence, so they get all three. But we get one. Most of us get one, if you want it. It's your religion, if you want it. It's a good point. Yeah. Using it to placate us, to get us to, to accept that slow death and suffering. Suffering, you know. Oh, it's okay she died early. But we, you know, she's in a better place. Isn't that, that's so good. That can make you feel better. It's not for that person who, whose life is over and they won't get the next 30 years. Mm -hmm. It's for you to feel better. So your cognitive dissonance, again, you got to remember that the Swage your guilt. For you. <laughs> Assuage your real moral feeling about that situation. For not doing anything. For not helping. But how could you? Again, the system has you running in that concrete maze. So you, to help your friend, you literally, or to help that family member to climb out, it was difficult. You don't have the financial means. Your family doesn't have the means. The schools are not open. Everything is working against you. And, and it's unfortunately purposeful because there was so little support to begin with. So when the pandemic swept over us, what little structure and support there was to help us at all, and, and manipulation, it was all manipulation mechanisms, they collapsed, they collapsed under the pressure. And now everything is, is in flux because um, there was very little there in the first place, right? Resiliency, you'll hear Mike use that word a lot. Our system is not resilient. This would have never happened if it was a genuinely funded, invested in and cared for system. And we need to care for ourselves like we care for our religions and our Republican party or our Democratic party or that. I'll just say on the other side of Michael's story, when we met, I was a staunch Democrat. I was happy to see his structure fall apart through the 90s, but now I'm horrified because I see what's happened now. And I wish that we could have done better in the 90s. Like instead of pushing further apart, you, you not realize we've been fighting since the 90s. Michael mm -hmm. and I were on different sides of the coin. And eventually, uh, I, of course, and he did think I was a little bit communist with just cause. Uh, and I, and in a lot of ways, in the end, we're, we're coming out, we're still trying to find that equilibrium. What is it? 20 years later, 25 uh -huh. years later, I don't want to put a date on it. Good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Various, um, 
various perspectives to the table and 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 in the 90s too i you know i've been an independent ever since i left the republican party because the democrats weren't quick to embrace gay people nobody was embracing gay people um and and the democrats still had religious litmus tests so for me like once i started waking up and seeing it across the board i'm like no 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 wait a minute these power structures are doing they're self-interested as well um, and so I've been an independent ever since then because I noticed very quickly that, you know, those those organizations were self-interested and they had power structures that didn't necessarily align with my values as well. Um, so just to be clear where I am on any fences, you know, I, I believe in the Republic and I don't believe in parties. Um, and and but just I, for solution base, for a solution base to mention that we believe that the, there is nothing wrong with the party systems as they exist in general. But the challenge we have, like in Arizona, we can only speak to what we know. So for my fellow Arizonans, independents can't vote in the primary. You don't get to choose who mm -hmm. becomes president as an independent. So how does the state government fund both fund the party systems and then and the whole mechanism? But yet it lets it pushes independence out of who's running for president of the United States. Mm -hmm. That's voter suppression, friends. But those of you that have picked a party would never know. But independents are left out to dry in Arizona, yet still paying through their taxes. Tricky, take tricky. that out. Take mm -hmm. that out. We're not saying take out everything. We're saying take that out. Defund the police is a methodology of of that type of mentality across the board. Defund these false mechanisms that add no value to the, to the great conversation. That's our solutions are based around that. Mm -hmm. Fund real solutions. <laughs> not, not, not the old way of doing things. And the other thing about nine years old, just to bring it back to the power of indoctrination is if you don't go back and question everything you learned up until that age with your adult mind later in life, you just keep going through. You just you keep accepting all of that automatic uh, indoctrinated programming that occurred between, uh, you know, the time you were born and nine years old, roughly. So, you know, that's why it's like people can go on and on and on. How come they don't ever change their ways because we don't actually ask people to do that we don't teach people to necessarily do it unless you're you know going off the rails and you're now you're you're talking to a therapist or something like that which again back to education everybody needs to understand how this brain works how these bodies work and you know encourage us to actually use these things to their fullest capacity which is the opposite of what the power structure is interested in and I also want to talk a little bit more about greed because something Ray and I are sensitive to, but because we're human, we fall victim to is generalization. And I want people to understand that there's a litmus test, there's a vein, a dividing line in my mind. And Ray, you'll, you know, you can jump in here. But I think the way to test any institution, any group of people, is on a greed basis. What is the true motivation? What is the true mission? What is the true aim or goal of this group of individuals? Because not all of anything is anything, period. If if the word all, every, any, you know, if it's an infinitive, it can't necessarily be true. It can't really be logically true. Like murder is not always wrong. You can't say that. So be cautious about these infinitives and whatnot. But I'm going to make a, a strong statement that wherever you find greed, you will find cognitive dissonance somewhere in there. Because greed forces us to behave in ways that may not be cooperative. It forces us to put ourselves before others. And all of the best religious teachings I've ever seen has put the survival of us over the individual you know it's like we're we're supposed to help one another we're not supposed to tear each other down and attack each other and so if you find yourself dealing with an individual or a group of people that's asking you to otherize that's asking you to hate somebody that's telling you a group of people is nothing but lies tells nothing but lies 
Those are all fallacies on the face of it. And if there's money involved, then there's greed. And you need to watch out because greed has perverted everything here today because of industrialization and cap because of the pervasive way we've deployed industrialization and capitalism as if it's a panacea, as if it's a solution to all problems. And that's just not a fact. That's not true. And it's dangerous. It's corrosive. And that's why we see so much rampant corruption in religion and politics and our personal interactions. I mean, it's so hard for us to trust each other now. And that's, to me, by design. It's so that someone else can tell us who to trust. And it's scary. I don't know how you feel about that, Ray. I'm with you. I'm with you in, in, in a lot of ways with that one. And um, I don't really have an argument other than that, that it sounds like we need to create, uh, much like we have business ethics, apparently we need business greedology. So I guess what you and I are working on is what is the new, the new ethics we have to bring into business, right? Because ethics isn't enough, apparently. Apparently, we need another level. So is ethics 101 and, and greedology is 102 for the academias? I don't know. But it, it's, it's, it really comes down to having that ability to understand what is, how can you equate crossing the line? And I think that's having some honest conversations that when you're paid more than the X number national, like what would, what would greedology look like? So maybe that's, maybe that's what we're working on is the yeah. solution is greedology. Disparities. Um, we'll work on the name. We'll work on Dis that name. I think disparities, we, we would just start with the generalization that disparities point to greed. The greater the disparity, chances are the increased propensity for greed in that organization or institution. So and, and so greed warps people, right? Yeah. It manipulates people. It, it creates an environment where cognitive dissonance is okay. It's fine. No, no, go ahead and struggle with yourself because you're going to get paid for it. We got to get away from that. And, and then, uh, oh. you hear it all the time. People talk about what's happened to them in their lives and their personal lives that equates to the justification for where they are. And I, you hear it even in, in very successful people will talk about different things that they've gone through, but there's people going through terrible, terrible situations all throughout the world and going through something does not equate you to wealth and power. Um, that is not an automatic, that is not an automatic give. Right. But yet people in those positions seem to think that they've done something exceptional. And, and, and I think that cognitive dissonance, again, people tell you you're exceptional and you're so used to believing things that are not that that are not, you know, true and not saying that you're not exceptional, but saying that compared to the rest of the world, there's exceptional people and always someone more exceptional than you. You believe that you are truly exceptional because people told you it and you can't, I don't think people can bring it home, right? They've been, they, they're religious and they're up here and then someone pushes them even further. Oh, I'm closer to God. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Oh, and, yeah. That touches, to me, that touches me in a place where Buddhism goes um, about accepting. Hmm. Okay, so people hate feeling bad about themselves, right? Well, Buddhism, part of it, the teachings or the mindfulness part of it is not taking in any of that, right? You, you should know who you are. You don't need any externalities to, to confirm that necessarily. And so you can't, you should not, if you don't want to feel bad about yourself, you should also not accept compliments about yourself. When you take the good, you have to take the bad. So you should deny all of that. You should be humble and you should be confident all in one place. You do not need to accept those compliments. If you accept those compliments, then you're accepting that, that feeling. You're buying into that, oh, I'm good. I'm, now I'm, the needle has moved away from baseline towards a positive thing. But you can't accept that and not accept the inverse, the negative side of that, the absence of it. And so the only place to stay core, to stay center at all times, is to deny both of those things. 
to not, don't believe I'm great and don't believe I'm bad. I am. That's all I, I, I just am. And the less you buy into that, you know, the less you'll, you'll, you'll be feeding into it. And I think, you know, greed asks that for ourselves, greed, anytime the self is placed above us, anytime you are placed above others, that should right. be a point of questioning, right? You should be like, well, okay, we all are, are like, we all have a place. We all are good at different things. Just because you've got one that you would excel at doesn't suddenly make you a king or king worthy or anything like that, right? So these corporate structures are a bit, bit problematic because they need you to buy into someone is worth more than you. And that's fundamentally not, it doesn't jive well with morality, our innate morality. No, but you're, 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 you're taught to buy into the structure. And I just, I just have to say, because I've, I've been in leadership for over a decade and maybe I'm old enough now that I'm 40, that I can say things that I understand a little bit of what's going on. But my whole career, people have come back to me. They've rounded back to me, mentees, employees. They've come back to me and said, Ray, um, and I think it's just because of mass, right? I've, I've hired so many people and, and, and led so many people over a decade and a half that they say, Ray, you were the reason you inspired me. You did this. And the first thing I said to, they, to them always, every time, as soon as it started happening is you did this, this is all you. All I did was give you a little bit of, um, I gave you a couple of ideas. I gave you some ideas. That's all. And I took that inspiration from even Walt Disney, who said the greatest thing he ever did was give people ideas and direct them towards a, a goal or a motivation. That's all he did. So I took that early on in my career to say, oh, so I don't have to be a jerk or I, I just I just tell people my ideas and I share. And if they grow, it's great. And to this day, many people have made uh, six figures after I've, you know, they've had one conversation with me and they went off and did amazing things and they come back and give it to me. No, give it to yourself and give it to what you chose to do. So they'll push it back. They'll say, yeah, but you, I said, I mean, so I appreciate it. Cool. Thank you. You know, I say, but you're the one that every day put on that tie. When I told you to put on the tie, you did it. When I told you to change your brand, you changed it. I didn't get you dressed every day. So people push back on me and I push back harder. And so just as hard as I push on everything, I'm pushing people away from me to say, I am not anything else than someone. Even when I would get in trouble, like I'm not getting in trouble, but when my staff would be mad at me, I'd say, when I leave this room, you realize that I'm just a person, right? That the title here is just something that's the structure the company requires. But when I leave this room, I'm still a human being like you. And people would just be thrown away, shocked that I would give up my power. So I'm glad you just said that, Mike, because for me, it was a little humbling and I'm going to keep doing it. I give up the goose. Like I'm not special. I'm just here and I'm, I'm, I'm vulnerable enough to tell you my secrets and tell yeah. you my feelings. We're all capable and we're so much more capable when we're open to being vulnerable, open to being ourselves. Everybody's trying to paint some picture that's some expectation wherever it came from. Um, and the closer you can get to your core, the more you can live your truth, your values, try and move away from cognitive dissonance and follow your internal moral compass, get in touch with that. The more fulfilled you'll be, the less sad you'll be in a lot of ways inside. It, it, this takes me back and this, I don't know if this will close us out. You'll keep me honest, but it takes me back to a conversation Serge and I were having recently we were talking about um, that group of Islamic folk who were being expelled or maltreated in Myanmar before this latest uprising or whatnot, right? And this whole idea of like, well, you know, well, what do you, what do you expect? Of course, you know, they have a different set of system and they don't treat women the same, you know, and so the the government or the prevailing organization of people where that group of Muslims lived didn't jive well with their form of society, with their culture. And so it, it turned into this discussion, well, what do you expect? Do you expect those people just to accept, accept what the Muslims accept? Um, or do you expect the Muslims to accept what they live? And I said, well, I think, I think it all has to coexist with time. 
And that's the beauty. If there was anything exceptional about America, it's in that promise of hope that regardless of how different our perspectives may be, our beliefs may be, that we can come together under this one roof and over time learn to respect and appreciate freedom for all of us, for all of our humans under this group. And I was, I was like, you can't, you will never end this war, this war of the other, as long as the other persists. And if you push them to their own country, I mean, I blame, you know, England, right? England created Pakistan, India, et cetera, right? They, they were the ones who said, well, we weren't able to come here and save everyone with Protestantism. So, you know, the Hindus, you get your land and the, uh, the Muslims, you get your lands because we don't know how to deal with this crazy difference that you guys are trying to deal with. And of course, all the countries ended up separating themselves, right? And you get Kashmir, disputed territories, et cetera. I'm like, we've seen this time and time again. That doesn't, having Israel separate from the Middle East does not create peace. Having Muslim countries, Hindu countries, and communist countries does not create peace. When, you know, the United States couldn't have had different versions of freedom. One group of people allowed to own other humans, another group who thinks that's completely atrociously wrong. But we built this house. Well, one thing we understand in America, and we don't get it, is we understand one thing very well, and that's property line. We're all born with an innate understanding that's indoctrinated from the beginning of time, which is property lines, state lines, city lines, county lines, those, those human constructs we've all agreed to, and we all understand, even though there's no physical boundary, there is a cognitive understanding that we've all leaned in and agreed on. So it shows that we have the power of people to agree on something and, and go there. But the problem is we're trying to apply property lines, this methodology that came from Europe, property lines and, and that sort of governance to regions that, what are you talking about? you know, lines yeah. and, and divisions and neighborhoods and separations. And we, we, they just, we cannot apply our system. It's because it's actually not a good system. That's the problem, right? It's part of the problem. Excuse me. But I think you need to have a pen, big tent and I'm going to bring it back You're to right. Harvey, Harvey Milk. Right. Harvey Milk's mission and, you know, anybody can debate me on this, but I think one of the core tenets that, that rings true to today is about coming out of the closet. And it's really hard to hate the person you know. It's much easier to hate the person you don't know that you can label with whatever you want. But I know Muslims. I know Jewish people. I know you know, people of every, you know, walks of life, religion, from people who have not had a worry or a concern in their lives, just following the track that their parents told them to follow to those of, you know, those of us who followed maybe a, a path that's less traveled. And at the end of the day, we can all have human interactions. We are all humans. We are all fundamentally born, right, with the same functionality, <laughs> needs, wants, desires. And if we don't use those buzz terms, if we don't wear our, our brand label, we can connect. We can get along. We can make laws. We can live together, even if women are treated differently. I'm not saying they should be. But the only way. Muslim women are ever going to earn their freedoms is not by living only in Saudi Arabia and allowing Saudi Arabia to be a state and a country to do whatever they want. You know, I'm just using Saudi Arabia as an example. So, you know, that was what was amazing about the U.S. is like you come here, it's agnostic, religiously agnostic laws. We follow the rules, whoever you are, and you get to know your neighbors. And maybe you judge a little bit less. Maybe you're a little bit more accepting of that person. And over time, hard religious lines wear away and we become Americans first. We don't get there ever if Texas secedes, if the South secedes. We don't ever get there if Myanmar, 
expels all their Muslim population into Bangladesh and waits for Bangladesh to go underwater. And all those people are going to spread everywhere. Like, it's silly. I'm going to stop. It's, it's, I mean, I feel your passion, but it's probably a good place to stop based on my timing analysis. But I would say that you are absolutely right. I think the problem is that people turn away from these topics because they get you angry, right? When you really peel back the onion, it's not good news. There's no good news. It's all a work in progress. It's all broken. It's about one step up from slavery, but that's okay. Being close to it, understanding the hard work we have to do makes makes the, the mission that much greater. So when you do look, there is bad news and we know that, but you don't have to stay in it. The problem is that the media company wants you to stay and boil. We don't want you to be a frog in water, right? We want you to join us because I, I hope you agree. Maybe we'll get some of your feedback, but we are trying to have a progressive conversation. We're trying to set the citizens conversation uh, and trying to say, these are the kind of things that are important. And hopefully you are seeing the common thread. I think we might, you know, look at doing more episodes that help align the solutions uh, as it comes up. But this one in particular, religion, will be an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing mechanism that needs to be pushed out, and education needs to take its place in the forefront. You should be reading educational developmental material first, maybe not a Bible. But again, that's your freedom, and that's the beauty what we are saying here is to know what type of indoctrination you're choosing. Just know they're both the same. All books are the same, whether it's, um, whether it's the little red book from Asia or, or whether, whether it's the Bible, uh, they're all are a form of indoctrination and the freedom of America is your choice of what to use. Be curious, please. Be curious. The more you let in, the more you'll understand, and everything will fall into its place. Like a child, Michael? Like, return to that innocence and that yeah. cognitive, like, we're curiosity and, and be vulnerable and, and, chill and cry because that's what children do. They, they allow themselves to experience things that they, they're, they're scared of and they're afraid of, but they, they're, they're excited by it. And they remember when you used to be afraid, but you'd go for it. Um, and we're asking you to do that again. This is, a, this is a scary situation for all of us. Everybody is scared right now. I think we could agree with that. Yeah. And remember men and women, the concept of being a man, just be a man or, you know, women in their place, all of that is a construct. Please remember that because we're starting to still see a lot of that toxic masculinity type stuff getting sold out there. And I know that's a, a buzzword and I don't mean to use it, but, but if anybody's trying to paint an expectation of how you're supposed to conform to something, be curious. Don't take that. Don't take it at face value. Wonder where that's coming from. I think it says more about the person who's trying to get you to fall in line than it says about you in particular. So with that, I think that's going to do a wrap for today. Thanks for keeping track of the time, Ray. We have been your hosts. Thank you again to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Mr. Piscatelli. It's been just over an hour. What else is new now? I think we're, we're hitting a trend. For more information on this and other episodes, have it, head over to citizendugood.com and click on podcast. While you're there, hit up our contact us page and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. Special thanks to you, our listeners. We save the best for last. You are the best and you have been for years. Thank you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. Intro music sampled from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fisleyan Studios, Inc. <laughs>